Hi, and welcome to yet another episode of the Room and Room Podcasts. My name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a vet and a nutritionist based in Lincoln, Canterbury in New Zealand with my PGG Rice and Seeds team. In this, our latest episode, we're going to cover off a nutritionally based animal health condition that can sometimes affect young sheep and cattle, particularly sort of over the late spring, summer and early autumn months here in New Zealand and sheep and cattle that consume pasture or in some cases forage crops such as chicory and brassicas and the like. Now this condition that we're going to be talking about is thiamine or vitamin B1 deficiency. To frame up what we're talking about here and how we're going to cover it, first up we'll talk specifically about thiamine or or vitamin B1, including unpacking what clinical signs that we might see with thiamine deficiency and exploring just how on earth can a deficiency of such a tiny little amount of one B vitamin wreak havoc with the well-being of some of our animals through these warmer months of the year in New Zealand and elsewhere overseas as well. Then in the second section of this podcast, we're going to ponder some of the I guess the confusion about the whole range of different terms that here in New Zealand we throw around loosely to try and define what is essentially the same condition based around thiamine deficiency. Here in New Zealand, if you talk about thiamine or vitamin B1 deficiency, people will otherwise call this condition a range of other names, such as one of the symptoms of uh, vitamin B1 or thiamine deficiency, which is polio and cephalomalacia sometimes shortened up to polio, sometimes called PE or sometimes called PEM. Sorry if that all sounds a bit confusing, but but yeah, we'll have a little bit more of a deep dive about these terms that are relating to possibly thiamine deficiency, but, but possibly some other causes of some of the neurological signs that are not related to thiamine deficiency. Moving on to the third part of the podcast, we're going to cover off uh, which of our ruminant species may be at greater risk of thiamine deficiency and other risk factors for individual animals. Part four of the podcast, we're going to talk uh, about how sometimes these animals can be treated. However, as always, <laughs> our standard disclaimer with the Rumen Room podcasts is that this podcast will never, ever replace the need to be talking to your very own vet about any concerns that you have with your animals and their well-being. So we will certainly talk at a a high level in terms of not any specific recommendations. And then finally, with the rest of the podcast, we will be talking about setting up that proverbial fence at the top of the cliff, so to speak, rather than being the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, looking at strategies to reduce the risk of thiamine deficiency occurring in the first place, rather than ending up having to talk about how we treat them or or deal with clinical cases. So, a very much a nutritionally themed podcast this time around, but with an animal health aspect to it. First up, thiamine. As I mentioned before, it's another name for vitamin B1. And vitamin B1, given it's got a number next to it, as it might suggest, is one of a number of water-soluble B vitamins that all animals require. But thankfully our ruminants are very, very clever at having their rumen microbes inside their gut manufacturing thiamine or vitamin B1 for the animal. So these little microbes in the room, these little bacteria and protozoa and other guys, are very clever at making more than enough thiamine to meet the needs of our ruminant animals. 
What about our newborn lambs and calves? Well, clearly they don't yet have a functioning rumen, but as they start to nibble at feed and to seed some bacteria and other organisms into the rumen and that rumen starts to get up and running, uh, it's amazing within a couple of weeks of life that very young lambs and calves can actually start to have their very own thiamine being manufactured in the rumen, which is actually quite clever. So that's kind of handy, having thiamine manufactured in the rumen. So obviously our cows don't have to go and pop multivitamins um, that contain thiamine. However, the slight problem that can come along is what if that rumen is not functioning in an appropriate manner? So maybe we're not getting enough production of thiamine or more likely, sometimes if we have a sudden change in diet, we can get an overgrowth of some new types of bad guy kind of rumen microbes that are not very nice ones that produce stuff called thiaminases. Too many long words in this podcast, but hang in there. All that thiaminases are, they're the enzymes that munch into and break down thiamine or, or vitamin B1 in the rumen therefore creating a deficiency of thiamine. And that's probably the main cause of thiamine deficiency that we see here in New Zealand. And before we leave behind the topic of thiaminases, with bracken fern found on some farms, particularly on on more extensively grazed properties, bracken fern contains preformed thiaminases, particularly in the rhizomes of bracken fern. And what those preformed thiaminases do is work just like the thiaminases produced in the rumen, to decimate uh, all of the thiamine being produced in the rumen. So if we have ruminants that are silly enough or very hungry enough to eat rhizomes of bracken fern, that will potentially cause thiamine deficiency. But of course, as I say, it can be also that there's not enough thiamine being manufactured or perhaps if an animal's unwell for some other reason and that rumen's not functioning very well again, thiamine won't be produced in the way that it's supposed to. So thiamine deficiency, either not enough thiamine or those nasty enzymes break down the thiamine that is there. What is the situation if a ruminant animal actually runs out of its regular delivery or regular fix of thiamine from inside the gut? What sort of signs might we see in our young grazing animals? Well, there's two syndromes of uh, thiamine deficiency that can show up in our young grazing animals. Number one syndrome with thiamine deficiency is one that we uh, associate with neurological signs. So, another long word, sorry, but essentially the brain is not working properly. And so we get clinical signs we'll talk about in more detail shortly where uh, young calves or lambs can uh, appear blind, uh, get a wobbly and stumbly on their feet, but we'll talk more about that shortly. And then the second syndrome that we can potentially see with thiamine deficient ruminants is a little bit harder to pin down because it's what we call an ill-thrift syndrome. And that's to do with animals that don't have much of an appetite. They haven't got the munchies to get stuck in and eat a lot of feed. They can look as if they are going downhill, stop gaining weight or even losing weight, a bit of scouring and the like. But again, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So that's the two syndromes associated with thiamine deficiency. Let's take a bit more of a deep dive into the neurological syndrome, so the the brain that's not working properly. And what might we see if you have this type of thiamine deficiency occurring in your young animals? Or look, sadly, worst case, it may be that you simply find one or two or a small number of animals found dead. Now, this can occur with quite an acute, like a sudden onset. They look fine one day and then you find them dead the next day. Clearly a pretty sad outcome for both us and for our animals as well. 
If, on the other hand, hopefully we pick them up early enough, our lamb or our young calf is still very much alive but looking a little unwell, there's a few different things that we might expect to see. First up, with this neurological uh, version of thiamine deficiency, you may notice that the animal appears to be blind. However, when you look at their eyes, the eyes look crystal clear, perfectly normal to look at. So that's in contrast to something like if there's pink or uh, white or reddened on the cornea, that's sort of the outside layer of the eye, that could be due to something like pink eye or an injury to the eye or whatever. So we don't see that with thiamine. Quite often you'll see animals walking into things and very obvious signs of blindness. If not, and you can walk up to the animal very quietly because it can't see you, or it's down, we can try what's called the menace reflex, which is just getting your hand and, um, from a closed hand, suddenly flicking open your fingers, you know, maybe uh, 10 or 15 centimetres away from the eye, and they just simply don't see you. They won't sort of flinch away because it just can't see you. So we'll talk more about how this blindness occurs shortly. Now, as briefly mentioned before, as well as blindness, or sometimes instead of, of the obvious blindness, we'll get some of uh, the following signs. Sometimes the, the young animals will have the wobbles or the, like a staggering gait and stumble around. Often they'll be off on their own, away from their mates uh, on their own, which obviously is not normal. If we get closer to have a look, their muscles can kind of twitch randomly, uh, especially around the, like the face and the head and the ears will go all twitchy. And you'll see some of that twitching and weird muscle things because they'll chomp away, to chomp, 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 uh, with their mouths and, and, oh, terrible sound, but they'll grind their teeth and sometimes drool, you know, saliva out. So that's not looking good, hey? If there's something for them to lean onto, which sounds a bit weird, but like a, a trunk of trees or um, a, a fence post, sometimes they'll do what we call head pressing and they'll kind of lean into that and press their forehead into it. Sadly, as the condition progresses, if we don't treat it in, in time or your vet doesn't get to them in time, these affected animals may end up on the ground convulsing. Their eyes can flick from side to side really randomly. And then there's a classic sign that you might have heard about called stargazing, which sounds a bit weird, but a sign of thiamine deficiency means that they stand, you know, say if you've got a, a young dairy heifer replacement, you know, a young calf, they'll stand like a sawhorse with legs all stiff and, and stretched out. And the head and neck kind of arched back looking at the sky, which I, I guess we somehow invented the term stargazing. In the intro, we said, well, how on earth is a deficiency of such one tiny, tiny little component of the ruminant diet, um, such as thiamine, cause all of these potentially catastrophic signs and damage within the ruminant? There's a little bit of background to do here to explain what happens and then hopefully it'll make sense when we start to thread together about uh, how your vet will potentially treat this condition and most importantly when we round things up at the end about how to prevent it. So I'm not going to get into biochemistry because personally I hated biochemistry at vet school so I'm not going to bore you with the detail or me but anyway look let's just say thiamine as a vitamin is a certainly a little busy sort of vitamin. It's, it's got its little sticky fingers involved in a whole lot of different metabolic pathways mainly to do with energy metabolism, specifically uh, metabolism of fats and carbohydrates, which is an important one, but also proteins. So not going to get bogged down on that, but when we have a thiamine deficiency and it reach a, reaches a particular threshold of low levels of thiamine or, or vitamin B1 in the animal and the tissues and the fluids of, of the animal, 
the cerebral cortex. Now that's the thinking front part of the brain, and, and yes, ruminants do have that. Uh, sometimes you wonder about probably probably lambs in particular, do they have a frontal cortex? But the cerebral cortex can, in the presence of not enough thiamine, start to swell. Ow. And unfortunately, as that swelling worsens, all parts of the brain, particularly that front part, start to get squashed against the inside of the skull, causing those not very nice clinical signs that we see. So this brain swelling causes an almighty headache, and which is why they head press. They've got a filthy headache, and they are really trying to lean into it to relieve their headache. We mentioned blindness, and blindness, they're not entirely sure how it works, but maybe it's the optic nerves that, that take the the important nerve signals from what the animal sees in its eyes through back up to the cortex and maybe they get a bit squeezed where they go through two little bony holes in the skull or maybe the, the level of blindness is actually right happening at the level of the brain, Not we're not entirely sure. Certainly a very unpleasant condition to deal with which is all the more motivation that we understand risk factors for thiamine deficiency and ultimately to prevent this from occurring. It's important to understand that with thiamine deficiency that brain swelling is symptom of thiamine deficiency and there are other conditions other than thiamine deficiency that can also cause brain swelling. The term that describes this brain swelling is often presumed to associate only with thiamine but there are other non-thiamine causes of the brain swelling. The reason I bring this up is this condition is called a whole range of different terms on farm. It's called thiamine deficiency, funny that, vitamin B1 deficiency, funny that, and very fair enough to call that. But often, just from a layman's term, from us chatting on farm, we will call it polio or we'll call it PE or PEM. The technical term for this brain swelling it's a big, long, nasty word, and I'm going to use this nasty word, even though normally we promise not to use words bigger than wheelbarrow on the Rumor podcast. But to understand why we've ended up with a range of different terminologies to describe thiamine deficiency is because the other versions like polio and PE and PEM come from the true descriptive term about a swollen brain, which is called polioencephalomalacia. So you can see that that's why some people shorten it up to polio, some people shorten it up to PE, and some people shorten it up to PEM, as well as thiamine deficiency and vitamin B1 deficiency. It can be confusing because the, the, that polio and cephalomalacia occurs due to a range of other factors we're going to talk about very shortly. So it is a bit confusing, uh, and look, let's be honest and be fair, is that the scientists tell us for grazing animals here in New Zealand, almost all cases in New Zealand of PEM, I'm saying that because I'm not going to keep saying polio and cephalomalacia, please, no, no. Almost all New Zealand cases of PEM are actually due to thiamine deficiency. But here's where it can be confusing, and this is where you need to get your vet involved if you're seeing these funny neurological signs, is that there are other causes, non-thiamine deficiency causes of PEM, such as inappropriately high intakes of sulphur, so high sulfur-containing feeds, maybe sulfur feed additives that, that have been added in, like calcium sulfate, for prolonged periods of time. If water supplies uh, inadvertently contain high levels of sulfur, sulfur can create a condition that looks identical to thiamine deficiency. Wow. So this is why we shouldn't strictly use the term polio 
or PE or PEM to define thiamine deficiency because it occurs with other non-thiamine conditions as well. Um, things like salt toxicity, another topic another day. And there's even in the animal health side of things uh, a link between previous treatments with uh, if you're dosing young animals for internal parasites and that product contains a levamazole. That has in literature been linked to PEM, but that's actually nothing to do with thiamine. So this is all the more reason get your vet involved to help diagnose what's causing this PEM, polio condition, blah, 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 and um, understand that it's not always due to thiamine. And then the other kind of risky thing about calling any neurological syndrome that, that causes PEM and ruminants polio Let's just be really clear on this point too, um, especially older generations, perhaps our parents or grandparents. Let's not confuse this farm level condition that sometimes, from a layman terms point of view, we'll call polio, because we can get that muddled up with the infectious disease in people that causes paralysis, you know, that was around, the, I, I believe, sort of, you know, late 1940s, 1950s, even early 1960s, and that's the polio condition that affects people, poliomyelitis, not the same as polio or polio encephalomalacia down on the farm. So let's not get those two conditions confused and let's just make a, a pact, let's agree not to call uh, thiamine deficiency polio because it is very confusing. Enough about that, that's PEM. When we're talking about neurological signs on farm, again, get your vet involved because we can get other things that cause animals to go blind, to stumble and stagger around, to get muscle twitching, whole range of things, ryegrass staggers, low blood magnesium, lead poisoning, you name it, it's out there. And yeah, your vet will help work through by chatting with you and understanding risk factors, maybe doing some bloods to exclude other stuff and, and, and whatnot. So wow, there's some weird things that make animals uh, wobble and tumble around in their first summer of life. So thiamine deficiency causing PEM, a very common cause, but yeah. So that was the first syndrome, very long rambling one, and you might have already fast forwarded or indeed um, gone back to uh, swiping through TikTok, but whatever. Back on track, there was a second syndrome of thiamine deficiency, and that was the ill thrift one. Remember I mentioned that briefly, just they don't do so good. It's obviously a second type of syndrome, and it's a bit vague because, oh gosh, don't our young ruminants, you know, calves and lambs, gosh, they can get ill thrift for a whole range of different reasons. You know, they don't grow well, scaring, uh, you know, with other words, loose feces, poor appetite. So obviously this causes suboptimal um, performance and production gains and can be to do with a whole raft of things. So whilst thiamine deficiency can cause this ill thrift, there's all those other things. We've got uh, those young animals may have a gut load of internal parasites, which is becoming more problematic because we used to take those out with drenches that worked really well. And now we've got resistance uh, alive and well, both in terms of lambs and, and young cattle. That's becoming more of a problem. As well as that, we've got mineral deficiencies to deal with and all sorts of other things that cause ill thrift. So the difficulty is that currently in 2023 here in New Zealand, we don't have an animal health laboratory currently offering thiamine testing from ruminant species. So if you're really, really keen, you could always try your vet and see if they could take some blood tests and arrange to send those samples off to a human health laboratory. It might be quite different overseas, but that's currently the case for us here in New Zealand. 
often with these neurological signs, we have to look at the clinical history, what the diet's been, and your vet can, by default, arrive at a, a diagnosis of thiamine deficiency simply because the animals respond to, to thiamine treatment, which we'll talk about shortly, or by excluding other things such as lead toxicity. Enough about this ill thrift syndrome with thiamine deficiency. Let's just move things along to the third part of the podcast. And this is uh, what we've already said is that both sheep and cattle, uh, also goats, uh, by the way, in fact, all animal species are affected by thiamine deficiency, but we're talking about our, our common ruminant species, sheep, cattle, but also goats. When we have a mob of animals together, thankfully, on a positive note, Thiamine deficiency tends not to affect each and every animal in a severe way. So if we're talking about that neurological type of thiamine deficiency, thankfully, we typically only get it in a small handful of animals, uh, ruminants within a mob of young calves or lambs. So it's good to know that you're not going to have 100% of your animals going blind, um, being found dead. You know, worst case, you know, if, a, if you read the textbooks, they reckon up to 25% of animals may be affected, which would be a bit horrifying. But usually cases here in New Zealand, we might get one or two or five, perhaps. But some of you may uh, sadly have been involved in cases with more of them. And then the other interesting thing is that not only do not all animals get equally affected with the neurological type of thiamine deficiency, but it's really weird as a disease process because... In some summers, your, your young animals may be badly affected, then other summers you don't see anything. And when you um, talk to friends and family members who are farming locally as well, they may have had some cases and you haven't, or the other way around, you've had cases and they haven't. It's such a hard thing to predict. But again, we're going to work through towards the end of this podcast and try and understand some of the risk factors, particularly from a nutritional point of view, what increases risk. So... Yeah, there's typically only a small proportion of animals that get this brain swelling and, and the neurological signs. Despite that, if you have a, a line of 100 five-month-old calves, dairy heifer replacement calves, and you've got perhaps five with some variations of some degrees of neurological signs, there's a reasonably good chance there are some subclinical issues going on with the rest of the mob. And as a result, the vet, depending on how they find your unwell animals and what they think about the rest of them, quite often they may recommend to treat all of the animals in that mob with thiamine. But again, we're jumping ahead a wee bit and certainly not replacing the, the, the very good advice of your own vet. Now, in terms of which animals are more likely to be affected, and the first important risk factor, and it's something that I'm very sure that you've probably seen yourself, is that it tends in most cases to be a younger ruminant animals that are most affected. Typically this could be between two and nine months of age, like saying calves for example, and the peak risk period in calves overseas in feedlot uh, situations tends to be maybe six to nine months of age, but with New Zealand being pasture quality and forage crops being the likely driver of thiamine deficiency, uh, we could see that a little earlier. Or if they're on a starchy, low fibre meal through and after weaning, you might find that perhaps get cases as young as perhaps three to four months of age. But on a whole, we very rarely see thiamine deficiency in adult animals. That said, you have probably all heard of cases occurring, 
But again, remembering that if you've got those neurological signs, those adult animals might have some other stuff going on. They might have low magnesium. They may have had high sulfur exposure as adult animals. So they look just like your wobbly calves with thiamine deficiency, but that thing may be happening due to other causes uh, not to do with thiamine. Why is it that younger animals are more susceptible? Well, uh, they are eating a higher proportion of their life weight as feed. So let's say a 100 kilo calf might be eating 3 to 3.5% of life weight on a dry matter basis as feed, but as it gets older, it eats a lesser proportion of its life weight. So it's eating more feed, it's transiting through the rumen more quickly, and maybe that sets up for more of those nasty bacteria that sit in there and produce enzymes that munch up your thiamine. We're just not entirely too sure, to be fair. I've mentioned already the disclaimer that we are not going to talk about treatment in any detail because that has to be dealt with on a case-by-case basis between you and your vet. If you are seeing animals that are presenting with any neurological brain type of signs that could be suggestive of thiamine deficiency and or another cause of PEM or polioencephalomalacia or some other random thing like ryegrass staggers or something, please, if in doubt, call your vet. That said, if this is happening on a weekend, I'd strongly suggest that you call your after-hours vet and treat it as an emergency because if this is thiamine deficiency causing these neurological signs, we need a super-fast response time with your vet getting on farm because the faster these animals are treated with thiamine, if this is indeed thiamine deficiency, you've got a much better chance of saving these affected animals. The longer that the brain is swollen, the more likelihood that we can't reverse that damage by treating with thiamine. So it's a little bit like swelling. If you put a docking ring on your finger, please don't try this at home. The longer that docking ring is on your finger, the less likely is you're going to save your finger. That's kind of a given, but don't try this at home, people. So the quicker that we can reverse that brain swelling by your vet administering and probably repeat administrations of thiamine, the more likely it is that they can save it. The problem is is that when we give thiamine, either injected or, or even an oral dose to calves or, uh, or to lambs, they tend to quickly break it down and excrete it super fast. So the treatments don't last long. So that's probably why your vet will say, you know, that, that you're going to have to do some repeat treatments. But time consuming. But hey, if you save some valuable animals, that's all good. And of course, even if we inject animals with thiamine under the direction of your your own vet, if we've still got those bad boy microbes, those nasty ones sitting in the room and that are still producing those thiaminases, those enzymes that keep breaking down the thiamine, those injectable products won't fix things totally on their own in the long term either. So sometimes we might have to modify the diet that we're moving on to shortly, or potentially your vet may recommend some oral thiamine treatments as well. So while we're on the topic of those uh, oral thiamine products, there are dose rates available in terms of grams uh, of thiamine required. I'll leave your vet to recommend you around that for two reasons. One is that your vet will give you the appropriate dose rate of how much thiamine grams per head per day. For calves particularly, we're talking about grams. And also, there's a number of different products out there, and and certainly outside of New Zealand, I'm sure there's even more products out there for oral thiamine treatments. And of course, each one won't necessarily contain the same amount of thiamine per gram or kilogram of product, in other words, on a weight-for-weight basis. So you do need to just uh, check 
the active amount of thiamine uh, per dose that are uh, given to your calves or to your lambs. And the other problem we have with oral thiamine products is we don't really know how much thiamine will uh, remain in the calf or lamb system after a single drench. Could be up to a few weeks, could be a lot shorter than that. So again, usually with thiamine deficiency issues, we're looking to modify the diet to look for some long-term resilience to hopefully prevent some of those bad boy uh, enzyme-producing problem microbes in the rumen. The other thing is, of course, with your vet being involved, is that these wobbly uh, young ruminants done clearly not very well. So there's some other treatments that your vet may recommend about trying to manage this symptomatically and trying to minimise the amount of soft tissue damage going on on the poor old brain box inside the head. Sadly, if you lose a couple of animals, your vet might suggest that a post-mortem or an autopsy is done and collecting, sounds awful, hope no one's having breakfast, but collecting the brain and sending that off to the animal health lab who can look at the brain changes, so no more gross things about that, so carry on with your breakfast or your lunch. A, a really good workup and possible blood tests and, and other tests will give you a much better idea if this is definitely thiamine deficiency and therefore your vet will be able to help you pull together a prevention strategy. Now we've talked very much about vitamin B1 and I mentioned at the start of this podcast that it's just one of several B vitamins that all do a whole raft of different things for the animal. And an important point here to note is that vitamin B1 is of course thiamine and vitamin B1 is not the same as vitamin B12. So B1, thiamine, is not the same as vitamin B12 which is a completely different B vitamin. Now, the reason I mention this is because every summer when cases of these things start to light up out there, I can't help but, you know, spend a bit of time on social media farming groups and you do get a lot of very well-meaning, well-intentioned discussions around what we should be treating young ruminants that have got suspected thiamine deficiency with. And again, this is why your vet's the number one go-to because every year, I think we've all probably seen it on social media, well-meaning people do jump in on the comments and advise others how to treat well, any animal health conditions, including thiamine deficiency. And I've seen so many comments, people saying treat them with vitamin B12. Now, treating them with vitamin B12 will do them no harm. You know, vitamin B12 is good for, for calves and, and young lambs. So I'm not knocking that, but vitamin B12 has nothing to do with vitamin B1. It won't do any harm, but it certainly will not, repeat, will not reverse the signs of clinical thiamine deficiency. So yeah, get your vet involved. Well-meaning, wonderful people out there, but sometimes people get their wires crossed between vitamin B1 and vitamin B12. They are not one and the same. In fact, we'll do a vitamin B12 podcast another day, maybe. So moving on to the fifth point, and this I reckon is the absolute most important one of the lot, and you maybe you've even fast-forwarded through to this one, and this is very much around the prevention of thiamine deficiency in young ruminants. It's, it's lovely if we 100% understood the risk factors for thiamine deficiency, but as you're probably picking up, we're not always entirely sure. Some years you get it, some years you don't. All those sort of variable things. And that makes it a little bit problematic to fully come up with a visible 100% prevent the risk of thiamine deficiency in your young ruminants. However, 
we do have a few clues from researchers overseas who have sort of looked at the level of the rumen of what might be going on to actually start to come to a series of recommendations that we should be thinking about. We talked about those neurological changes, the PEM or the squash brain syndrome. Now that can occur as quickly as a few days through to three to five weeks after a dietary change. Ah, so here's the clue. Now in New Zealand, many of you will be very aware that we often see this PEM symptom of thiamine deficiency occurring perhaps in young dairy heifer or dairy beef calves during their first summer of life when we change the diet on them. So this might be that 100% pasture-based diet, chops and changes around. For example, your young calves may start off on some seed head dominant, rougher quality pasture in late spring through to early summer. And then as part of rotational grazing, they move on to some better quality pasture. You might think, oh, that pasture quality is a bit rough and, and they're looking a bit rough coated. Hey, here's an idea. We've got some silage or baleage regrowth that looks yummy and lush and leafy. Or you jump them ahead on the grazing round again so, so they're not going into higher covers of 3,000. You might bring them down to, say, 2,600 kilograms dry matter per hectare pre-grazing and that's lovely and leafy. So you try and do the right thing by these calves of bringing them off rougher quality pasture onto good quality feed to try and lift their life weight gains. Or another scenario in our New Zealand system, you may be um, monitoring the live weights of your pasture-fed calves and you identify perhaps the bottom 20% of calves and you want to lift their performance through. So you go, righto, they've been weaned off meal a while ago, but let's restart these little girls and guys, um, and particularly heifer replacements, your capital stock. Let's put some meal into the system or some other starch-containing feed, so um, as a loose meal or a, a pellet as a supplement. And if those supplement high-energy feeds contain quite a bit of starch and not much fibre, that will also be a risk factor to uh, induce thiamine deficiency. And we'll come on to the reason for that why very shortly. But overall, whether it's in New Zealand or temperate regions of Australia or other systems around the world, typically, not always, but typically it's a change from a poorer quality to a high-quality diet that seems to be the most risky for inducing thiamine deficiency. So yeah, lots of quickly fermentable organic matter there. So that might be starch, quickly fermentable, high-quality uh, NDF, such as silage regrowth, very short, fresh pick of, of regrowth grass and clovers. And or there's not what we call enough physically effective fibre or physically effective NDF to stimulate good rumen stability and culturing and all those things. So yeah, not entirely understanding it, but likely it's driven by changes in the rumen. Now we could define that by saying it's driven by a drop in rumen pH, but any nutritionists listening in know that simply saying a drop in rumen pH is responsible probably isn't all of it, because when rumen pH drops, there's a lot of other weird and wonderful things that go on, the types of volatile fatty acids change, goodness me, all sorts of things change. But in a blunt sense, uh, research that's been done overseas said that when we have a sudden dietary change, the rumen pH might drop from the mid-sixes. So, so a high-fibre diet might support a rumen pH of 6.2 to 6.8 or something like that. 
when we change the diet suddenly, so pasture moving on to uh, uh, from a rough pasture to a lush pasture, or indeed moving from summer pasture onto a high quality forage crop, such as forage chicory, or a summer brassica, or perhaps lucerne. So something like that, um, that can be enough to, if we're not careful shifting the diet from a coarse feed to a lush feed, particularly in calves, not so much in lambs, but certainly happens in lambs as well, that rumen pH can drop down into the fives. So instead of being a healthy 6.2 to 6.8, it might be down to 5.5 or even, heaven forbid, a bit lower than that. And that condition we do define as SARA or subacute rumen acidosis. And whether it's simply to do with the low pH or that there's some other random stuff that's happening there, it's likely that we are getting a step up in the activity of those bad boy rumen microbes that like to produce thiaminase, that enzyme that munches thiamine, and that is the risk factor for thiamine deficiency. But as I say, it's not as simple as monitoring rumen pH. It may be other changes that are seen, but you may not necessarily pick up with rumen pH as a blunt measure. Just a change in rumen function and activity in the presence of changing from a rough to a high quality feed. Now, another risk factor for thiamine deficiency is, of course, indeed, if an animal reduces its overall intake of feed for any other reason. And we call this a secondary thiamine deficiency because it's been induced by an animal not eating enough feed, uh, being unwell with another condition to allow the production of enough thiamine. So that animal might be badly lame, it might be bottom of the pecking order in a very large mob, uh, it's not competing well for feed or for stock water, could be a health issue uh, such as, oh gosh, it could be BVD, it could be anything else that causes inappetence such as heat stress, water deprivation, anything else. So your vet obviously would work through that for you. So let's roll this up to finish up into what our prevention strategy could potentially look like for reducing the risk of thiamine deficiency in our pastoral and forage crop-based systems here in New Zealand. It's all about how much do we have to change to prevent a problem. And this, of course, is all driven by your very own personal attitude to risk. Now, it could be that unlike your neighbours, your uh, friends and family also farming, that you've never, ever seen thiamine deficiency or the PEM signs of thiamine deficiency in your young ruminants at your place. So, yeah, high five, like, like that's awesome. Great that you've never seen thiamine deficiency or, or associated uh, PEM type signs. And so on that basis, you might say you're not um, particularly worried about it. And we never believe in changing anything for the sake of change. So if everything's going amazingly, just keep on keeping on. If, however, at the other extreme, year on year, you do see a, a number of cases every year, then we can potentially start to think of what we can do to reduce the risk of those mobs having issues. Because remembering, if you're getting clinical PEM that has been defined as thiamine deficiency, you might have subclinical thiamine deficiency that is affecting the remainder of the mob, but at a lesser level, like reduced live weight gains perhaps, or a little bit of ill thrift happening there. So if we're going to look at how we're going to reduce risk of thiamine deficiency occurring, it's about trying to maintain stability in the rumen so that we don't allow the overgrowth of those bad boy types of microbes that 
produce thiaminases and therefore crash out the thiamine status of your young calves or lambs. You probably, and I know you have your own ideas around how to manage that and being very aware that a sudden dietary change can be bad for uh, the calves or lambs with regard to risk of thiamine deficiency. But of course, that increases risk of other things. Sudden dietary change, it can increase risk of clostridial disease. It can increase risk in lambs of red gut. There's a lot of other animal health disorders, not limited to thiamine deficiency, that the risk of these conditions can be greatly reduced by minimising sudden dietary change, particularly from a rougher quality feed to a very high quality feed. So the sort of ideas that you can look at uh, would be that if you are changing diets from a poorer quality feed to a very high quality feed, make sure that you fill the calves or lambs up with a big rumen full of the poorer quality feed so they don't go on to that high quality feed hungry, so we don't drop the rumen pH quickly and allow uh, the wrong things to happen inside that rumen. You could potentially allow some on-off grazing that you leave some high, higher covers of poor quality feed behind in the old paddock. And if it's adjacent to the very high quality silage regrowth, for example, then they can go backwards and forwards and have a pick back on the poorer quality feed. Or it's obviously more time intensive and costly would be potentially to have on hand some good quality baleage or hay and teaching your calves or lambs early on before the sudden dietary change is likely to happen teaching them to consume or just what is this baleage or hay is it nice to eat rather than just sitting on it give them a few days or a week to understand how to eat the baleage or, or hay and then offering that to them when they access that high quality feed that's most likely to cause problems with uh, gut changes, particularly for calves who are more likely to have a sudden rapid drop in pH when they go from poor to high quality feeds, but obviously lambs remain at risk as well. Now feeding out, obviously as I mentioned, it's costly, it's not everybody's thing, and obviously we all uh, have seen it where lambs just have a lovely time of playing on, lying in and doing anything but eating those supplements. But the key obviously is to allow uh, lambs to potentially access these feeds as one potential strategy to reduce risk of thiamine deficiency. Even if you feed out while lambs are still at foot with mum, mums know how to eat this stuff and they can teach the lambs so that's another idea. You've probably all got much better ideas as well. This is, this is just a little bit of a brain dump from me at this point in time. In the longer term, you can also uh, talk to your vet, of course, if you're consistently getting cases of thiamine deficiency year after year. And you can check in with your vet and discuss their ideas aside from dietary manipulation to keep levels of fibre up. Uh, other ideas, for example, perhaps they may recommend to you to give an oral drench as a form of thiamine that we've already talked about, uh, or even to inject animals uh, with thiamine if you're in the face of an outbreak of thiamine deficiency cases uh, or if you're very risk adverse and you just simply don't want to have to keep dealing with it. The, that aspect of it is very much in the hands of, of uh, uh, your vet working directly with you on that one. But all up, really it's about sudden dietary change is a key risk factor and if you are transitioning onto things such as forage brassicas with calves, they do require a good 7 to 10 days to achieve full rumen adaptation to a brassica-based diet. So with those feeds, you must continue to feed good quality baleage or hay um, or ryegrass straw or something to those calves 
to maintain a stable, effective rumen on high-quality brassica diets. Well, that's us done and dusted for another of our Room and Room podcasts. It's been really cool uh, that you've joined us again to listen to another of these. We're really getting a, a good number of uh, downloads on these podcasts now, which is super cool to see. Hope that you've found something of interest to pick out and, and ponder further from this podcast about thiamine deficiency that you can apply on farm and, and or to very much open the conversation for more information from your vet about this annoying but potentially preventable condition. Anyway, finishing up now, uh, my name's Charlotte Westwood and look, on behalf of both myself and the PGG Rights and Seeds team, hope that you have an amazing day out and about. Cheers. Cheers.